I'm Jason Thompson. I'm the executive minister of the Harpeth Hills Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I also help uh, nonprofits and uh, churches with strategic planning and raising capital. And have helped folks all the way from Nebraska to Seattle, Washington, to a stopover in Montana at Glacier whenever I can, just have some fun. And uh, love, love living in Nashville. Um, Dave Clayton is the one who's going to like really rock and roll with this class. And I'm going to tag along with him. But man, he is a dear friend of mine. I'll let Dave introduce himself to you. And then Dave, I thought we might go around and see who's in the room. Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, my wife Sydney and I, we have three boys, uh, 10 years ago, uh, we planted a family of churches in downtown Nashville, uh, which we've had the joy of uh, getting to serve and lead, and you know, I always kind of give people just a kind of a, a quick glimpse of our church to give you kind of a sense of who we are and what we, what we do, but we're church planters by heart, 80% um, of our church is under the age of 30, um, far more single than married. Um, it's a very interesting demographic, just right in the heart of the city, um, but just passionate about um, making disciples and planting churches in that order because we think if you make disciples, you end up with churches, but if you start with churches, you don't always get disciples. And so for us, we believe it's disciple making and church planting um, for the sake of seeing the Great Commission uh, lived out um, through the heart of Jesus in the city. And so we've been doing that uh, for a little over 10 years uh, along with Ethos. Um, we lead uh, what's called the Onward Family, which is a family uh, of leaders that are committed to making disciples and planting churches, not just locally and nationally, but also globally. And uh, so we've gotten to help plant lots of churches and work with churches that want to plant churches. And then uh, we also lead a thing called Awaken, which is a citywide movement of prayer and fasting um, that started. We did it for the first time this year in the city of Nashville where... Uh, we literally uh, got a list of every person that lived in the city of Nashville, their name and their address. We prayed for them by name, fasted for them by name for 30 days. We had 418 churches that were involved in that, prayed and fasted for them, wrote them a handwritten note, letting them know how much they mattered uh, to Jesus. And, uh, and then uh, we've seen God do amazing things out of that. Uh, in addition, we've had uh, people from over 200 cities reach out and they want to uh, start praying and fasting as well. And so... Uh, that's something else that, that we have the joy of, of getting to lead and, uh, and getting to be a part of. And so that kind of, that's what brings us to the table. We'll tell you a little bit more of our story here in a little bit and why this conversation matters. But we want to get a sense of, there's a lot of classes going on. It is uh, 3.15 in the afternoon. It's beautiful outside. And we want to kind of know, like, why did you come here today? Like, like just let me get, uh, and you don't even have to have a great answer. Maybe it's just you want to get out of the sun and there's no windows in this room and it's your best option. But I, I want to know, like, what brought you? We'll start here in the back, just real quick, your name. What brought you uh, into the room today?
Okay, I want to go on record of saying that no one's ever said, I heard you speak at the church administrators conference before. You've never gotten that? I've never gotten that before. Maybe after today. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I interrupted. Yes, ma'am. Mission out one of his best friends this Sunday. We're getting a good plan of church in the city. We're excited about that. What part of Atlanta? Norcross, okay. I ministered in Marietta for uh, 11 years and grew up south of Atlanta on the south side of Atlanta. I was born and raised. Bobby, just for those of you that don't know Bobby, uh, he leads a bunch of amazing ministries. He's a church planter. Uh, he leads discipleship.org, which is a national 
um, really advocate for some of the best making, I, I believe, disciple making practices uh, in the country. There's also a lot of new ministry really targeted and focused in the restoration movement where they're trying to bring the best missional or the best discipleship practices and the best of restoration theology together to make disciples and um, just doing incredible work. We just launched this last year. And so um, some of the stuff we may or may not even get to today in this conversation for lack of time, um, if some of it intrigues you, I'd really encourage you to come find Bobby before you leave. Um, just dear friend, church planner, disciple-making champion, and has such a heart for what God's doing, specifically among Christian churches, churches of Christ, disciples of Christ. Like, And he really has a, a longing to see that happen there. And so he'd be a great guy to see this message as well. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, would you prepare our hearts? Would you... Open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears. And Father, would uh, your Holy Spirit move in our next few minutes together? And where there's places where it feels like uh, this uh, discussion is about uh, Dave or about Jason or about sustaining a denomination, uh, Father, uh, would you remove any of those barriers and let the purity of being co-laborers, co-heirs with your son Jesus. Let that purity of just being your children in this room who deeply love you, um, let that take up residence in our discussion. Thank you for every person who's in this room who uh, loves you and has been found by you. And Father, would you bless uh, each of their churches, each of their homes, and would you give them a deep sense of your presence and peace and joy in Christ's name, amen. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we really wanna do today in, in the context of this conversation is to think about the really significant connection between established churches and church plants and how, how, those, how those two realities in the kingdom of God work together to advance the mission of God. Because I think sometimes we're not careful we come at this conversation from just one side of the aisle, and, and we end up we end up actually, I think, robbing ourselves of the power that comes um, both in kingdom resource, in kingdom experience, in kingdom uh, opportunity. And so um, one of the reasons Jason and I wanted to have this conversation together is because so much of our story in church planting and in disciple making and in thinking about God's been doing, and then talk about some of the, the tensions that we really had to kind of uh, choose to live in, some of the things that we had to choose to embrace if we want to keep walking out this story together, because we think the story of what God has been doing um, in our churches together is, is really significant, and we think it's something that God is calling um, all of us to, to really be a part of in some level. So I'll give you just kind of a quick kind of snapshot uh, of our story. So about 11 years ago, I was 25 years old. Um, my wife and I, we had been at the Harper Hills Church of Christ um, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. We'd been there at that point for almost seven years. We started going um, my freshman year in college. Started showing up, worshiping there, loved the church, great people, great heart. 
just a really kind of amazing, generous spirit from the family. So we were we were part of that church for years. I, I planted a campus ministry, not under Harper Hills. I was planting campus ministry at Vista University. Uh, and during that whole time, my wife and I, we were just we were members of the church. Got to teach classes, got to serve, got to be involved, had this really sweet uh, relationship. And then there was this moment when we were about 25 years old where, where God started calling us into church planting. And at the time, to be uh, to be really clear, I didn't know what church planting was. Uh, I, the only the only understanding that I had of church planting was church splitting. And so I'd seen church splitting. I'd seen you know a youth minister get angry and leave to go start their own thing. I'd seen you know a group of families get mad and leave to go start their thing. But I had no context for like this intentional strategic church planting that was built on disciple making. And in fact, uh, I was so limited in my experience of it. Um, there, there were two things uh, that we did at the very beginning. Um, we said, hey, we need to go tell the elders and the team at Harper. We need to just let them know, uh, let them speak into the experience. And then I needed to find a church planter who could validate if any of the stuff I'm feeling is normal. And I was so green, I didn't know anything about church planting. I called a friend of mine who's a church planter in D.C. And I said, do you know any church planters in Nashville? You know, I didn't know there were like hundreds. You know, but I, I didn't know that. And he said, I think there's a guy out in Franklin named Bobby Hanson. And he sent me out to talk to Bobby. And so that's how Bobby and I met. 11 years ago, I showed up at his office and said, here's what God is, is putting in our heart. But one of the things that was so significant was, you know, Bobby spurred me on. He encouraged us, if you need to do this. And then we went in and we sat down with Jason and the elders and, uh, you know, said, here's the dream that God has, has put on our heart. And at the time, I didn't realize what a gift it was to have a group of leaders that were sitting in that position. You know, they're responsiveness to us. They're openness to us. They're, they're supportive of us became this catalytic force in our lives that, that really propelled us in, into the mission of Jesus. And it wasn't until years later when I started sitting down with other church planters and I started hearing their experience of going in and sitting down with the leaders of their church and the leaders getting scared and the leaders asking a thousand hard questions and kind of blackballing them and shutting them out that I, I began to realize that, man, this, this journey that we're on is not just special, but it, it feels supernatural. That, that this church... Uh, kind of out in the suburbs, could take some of their young leaders and not be threatened by laying their hands on them, loving them, supporting them, sending them out, blessing them, um, just kind of full-blown embrace uh, through that whole process, despite the fact that both of us had like a thousand questions on, on both sides of the aisle. And I remember one of the most formative moments of my life was we'd been in this discernment process for about a year together trying to figure out, should we do this? And then we got past the should, and we thought, okay, we're supposed to do this. And then we started asking all the questions of how are we going to do this and what's it going to mean? And, and we start asking all the questions that established churches tend to ask when they're thinking about sending out young leaders into the heart of the city. What's it going to look like? Can we do this? Can we not do this? And we're going through all these questions. And I'll never forget, we had this, this one evening, this kind of the defining moment where Sydney and I were supposed to come in and kind of share our, our last little bit of our last little spiel, uh, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it. Are we going to officially partner in this new work? And, and so I remember I came in to share, and kind of long story made very, very short, um, the Spirit of God just, man, he, he just broke my heart that night as I was trying to, to share the vision. In fact, I had this 18-page strategic summary that I was getting ready to share, and uh, I'll never forget this, the first line of my, of my like, vision casting moment that night was, what happens to people? when they spend their whole life, they live and die outside of the grace of Jesus Christ and partner with us. What happens? And I asked that question, and JT can uh, 
you know, affirm this. I started weeping like a baby. I was just wrestling. I cried. My guts out. My wife, true story, she thinks I'm having a mental breakdown. Um, she, she'd never seen me cry like that. My mom had cancer. She watched me walk through my mom's battle of cancer and then cry like that. She thought I was losing my mind and depressed her. Um, but it was just, it was the Spirit of God. Um, and I remember walking out of, out of the room that night, depressed, because I didn't even get to get my vision picked. Uh, Sydney took me to, to eat a steak dinner to try to soothe my, my soul and my nerves. And, and I turned off my phone, and it was this lady awake in bed all night, kind of depressed. And about 4 o'clock in the morning, the Spirit of God just he started whispering into my heart. He said, Dave, he said, I didn't need you to, to tell them what needed to be done. I just needed them to get a glimpse of my heart for lost people. Hmm. That's all I needed. We still call that night the night Dave Clayton came in and cried the whole meeting. Because, I mean, it was, really was, it was like, are you going to be okay? You know? But it really was a turning point for you and for that church. So Harpeth Hills is 137 years old. Okay? 137 years old. Um, I would say at times it, it's, it's represented everything that you would probably not want to see it in an established traditional church. Uh, we've had our own battles of what does it mean to be kingdom-centered and what was going on at Harpeth Hills at the time was we, we did not have the value of evangelism. Uh, we had the value of caring for our own people who placed membership there. You with me? And Dave's being used by the Holy Spirit, what happened is slowly this established church who was partnered with Ethos, who we served as a I guess we kind of loaned you elders and loaned you, I was the executive minister trying to support you guys in this journey, lifting up your arms and gave you good coverage. But at the same time, this established church was having its own heart slowly broken. Now, understand, there are moments when God moves on the road to Damascus and, and amazing things happen. But even then, what is it, another 10 years on Paul's preparation for his journey, right? Noah built the ark for how many years? Anybody remember? Bible Bowl time, 120, 140, 120 years? Huh, what is it? 120 years. So God is slowly stirring Harpeth Hills and our, our relationship with ethos. And now we talk about lost people. We talk about evangelism. I've got three different conversations going on right now with folks who do not believe in Christ. And our staff is having those kind of conversations. Our church is having those kind of conversations. And so the, the, the blessing, it's almost like for me, any of you who've been with the church for a while, you can, re you can receive this word. You know how you love your people. You know, the you've been in church long enough, they're your people. You love your people. And what happened is ethos has given Harpeth Hills a love for our people to love all people. And that's just been a sweet blessing that we never expected. At times, we've thought of ourselves as being investors in Dave's vision, what God has given to Dave. But I think the better language would be partners, that we want to be good partners. And we ourselves didn't want to just be a plateaued or slowly dying church. We want to be a force of the kingdom. And so what I hope our message is today is that we believe in church planting. Absolutely. Do we believe in established churches can still be kingdom center? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you, you know, one of the things that I think you see and you hear all the time is 
is the stats are in, right? And what I mean by that is people are looking at the state of Christianity uh, across the culture, across the country. Uh, you can look at that as a whole. You can look at that by denomination. You can look at that by tribe. I think about some of our friends at Exponential. They talk about kind of the five different levels of churches. They, they researched, you know, for about five years uh, across the state of the church in the United States, and they, they took about 350,000 churches, and they put them in one of five categories. Level one is churches that are declining. They're losing members, money, and influence year over year over year. Level two is churches that are plateaued. There is no significant forward progress in regards to uh, evangelism, conversion, ministry, growth, anything. There's no forward progress year over year over year. Um, level three uh, are churches that are growing by addition. You know, they're getting bigger because uh, people are coming from other places or occasionally they're reaching somebody new. The budget's going up a little bit. You know, uh, they're growing by addition. Level four is they're beginning to multiply. They're planting churches. They're seeing evangelism. Those things happen. And level five is they're be, they've become movemental. In other words, you would have to systemically choose to stop the multiplying efforts in order for them to not do it. And so when they started doing this research uh, years ago about the different levels of churches, here's what they found is that 80% of churches in North America are level one or level two. 80% of churches are either declining or plateauing, right? We, so we know that. Um, 16 or 13% of churches now are level three. They, they're growing. You know, they're, they're growing by addition, um, which is good. We celebrate that and we thank God for churches um, that are growing. Um, 7% of churches uh, in the United States are multiplying or are things beginning to happen. But kind of the irony about that 7%, about half of that 7% is multiplying through church splitting. So it's not through church planning, it's through, it's through chaos, you know, that things are happening. And then level five churches, when they started this research, looking for the research, you know, several years ago, their goal was to find 10 churches that were level five churches. Uh, can you guess how many they found in the United States? Any of you know? Found one. Found one church in, in the United States. Now, now that's, that's, the, that's the statistic. And we could sit here and we could talk about that. We could lament that. Uh, we could come up with a bunch of reasons for that. But here's the deal. Um, I don't know how long God's going to be on, on earth. I have no desire to spend the rest of my life like reading stats and being bummed that things are. I go, I have no idea. I have no idea, like, what are all the factors that are brought to that. But I go, man, I know, I know the God that we serve. I know who he is. And, and I am not inclined to just go, okay, here's our job as American Christians. Let's just manage the decline. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, like it, 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 it's like, but I hear that so often, kind of that spirit of, well, we're, we're going the way. Here, here's the way it's going. Let's just, let's just kind of slow it down. Let's just kind of manage it. I'm like, no, that, that, that's not the team that I'm on. Um, that, that's not the God that I pray for. Like, you know, and, and I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but here's what I believe. I believe that God is exactly who he says he is, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and that he is still on the throne, and that uh, his church is still forced to re-advance, and that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I go, Yes, are we in a moment? Absolutely. Uh, is Jared facing some things in Seattle? Absolutely. But I go, I believe that the kingdom of God is indeed like mustard seed and yeast, and the smallest thing in the garden eventually it becomes the thing so big the birds are perfect. I believe that's the way it's going to work. And that's what we're living for, and that's what we're believing. And we believe that established churches and, and, and church plants together, if we would begin to see this whole picture, um, we can really we can really do it. And so um, it, it, I think it starts in this place of vision. 
where, where we begin as a, a community, whether you're an established church or a church planner, where you begin to really uh, understand that, that this is a vision that I believe Jesus is calling all of us to. That disciple-making and church planting, it's not just my vision, it's not just Jason's vision, it's not just you know um, Jared's vision or Bobby's vision. It, it's the vision of every follower of Jesus. But God has already established in our churches the giftedness of being focused on children and being focused on youth. And he's already, man, Dave, he's already established for us that you know, we're right next door to this elementary school and we're supposed to be tutoring. And so we've kind of got our vision already. Yeah. And, and I, What's I, your response to that? Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges is I think a lot of times we, we make smaller pieces of the vision the totality of our vision. Uh, we, we make these these little opportunities for kingdom advancement. We make that the totality of it. And so I think one of the I think one of the, the challenges that we have, especially when, when the church is declining across the West, we start playing it safe. We start looking for things that we can manage. And I go, I think we have to really once again embrace the bigness of Jesus's mission. You know, Jesus looks at these disciples right before he's getting ready to return to heaven, and he says, Hey, here's the deal. You're going to receive power. You're going to receive explosive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, these guys, they had never traveled more than 60 miles from the place that they were born. They had never gotten on an airplane. They had never seen the internet. They had never taken a photo. Like, they had never done any of these things. Jesus looks out at them and he says, I'm going to use you to absolutely turn the world upside down. He said, that's the way that it's going to go. And uh, I love this picture of a vision that, that starts small right where you're at. It starts in this place of discipleship, and it, it, it literally, by the time he's done casting the vision, it encompasses the whole globe. <laughs> you're going to start right where you're at. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to reach the ends of the earth. And so, you know, one of the things that we're, we're constantly telling our people, and then I want to spend a few minutes just getting into tensions, because here's what I'm convinced of, is I'm convinced that you're in this room, because on some level we're convinced that this is something we're supposed to be doing. But the question is, why is it so hard to do? <laughs> like, like we all are going, okay, we should be multiplying. We should be planting churches. We should be advancing the gospel. But why why does it feel like we're pulling teeth sometimes when we actually try uh, to do that? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always sitting in front of our team and sitting in front of our church, and I'm trying to remind them, hey, hey, whether you are a, a plumber or a school teacher or a stay-at-home mom or a student or an accountant, um, the Great Commission applies to you. It applies to you. And it's not the Great Suggestion. You know, it's, it's not the, it, it's not Jesus' words to the paid professionals. It, it is Jesus' commission to his followers. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. And so in, in our church, you know, kind of what we do is I sit down and I go, hey, how does the Great Commission play itself out kind of in that Acts 1-8 reality? And so... Literally, uh, on a wall in the basement of our office, we go, what's, what's God inviting us to do in Jerusalem? And what's he inviting us to do in Judea? And what's he inviting us to do in our Samaria? And what's he inviting us to do to the ends of the earth? And so, you know, we, we, we've, got this, we've got this vision. But we keep calling it back to our people saying, hey, how do we begin to live this out? How do we actually begin to live it out? And every time we start trying to live it out, we start experiencing these tensions. And so... JT, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this together, because I look at a, a church like Harpeth Hills, large church, um, successful church by every, I, I think, kind of um, human uh, you know, metric, so much talent, energy, generosity, kindness, love for the lost, and, and I go, man, I, I look at a church like Harpeth Hills, and Harpeth Hills 
could plant lots and lots of cases. Um, what, what some, what's a challenge you face? What's a challenge you kind of experience? We've been on this journey for 10 years mm-hmm. together, and, and you see the fruit of church planting. You guys are experiencing it in your church, but why is it so hard to keep leaning into this? What are some of those tensions you face? Yeah, I want to go back to your vision. Um, now I've now been able to help over 50 organizations associated with Churches of Christ or Restoration Movement, Stone Campbell Movement. And I believe every single one of those could plant a church. And yet, it's one thing when you have a Dave Clayton who says, let's go. It's another thing for it to be in a room full of people who have been together for a while and go, what now? We're going to plant a church? And so I think one of our strengths as a heritage becomes our weakness, and that is just a fondness for heritage and familiarity and and this idea that we all have to do it together and go together. So one of the tensions has been, do we release the movement of the Spirit of God? And when someone has a gift, do we allow, do we give the space in our church structure, in our church environments, do we have the space to, re- to release the body of Christ? You know, when someone has the gift of mercy, do we release that gift, the gift of evangelism? And, and I would just kind of think that if you're, if you're just a 30 to 300 or 3,000, I promise you, if, if you're the body of Christ located there, God has placed just the right gifts for just the right time for this movement. And so one would be, Dave, the tension would be, do we recognize the gifts that God has right in front of us? Or are we trying to conform your gifts to fit into Harpeth Hills? Yeah, Does that make sense? Yeah, and you know, I'll kind of piggyback on that. You know, I think one of the tensions that, that we've kind of experienced as, in our church and as we've walked with, with you guys and as we've tried to play this thing out together is I think there is a, I think sometimes church planting um, feels like a threat against the established system because it feels like it's asking for the two things that most churches have spent months of losing, and that is people and resources. And so sometimes, you know, uh, 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 God gives a vision to somebody within the church and, and, and they're going, man, I, I see, I see this opportunity. I see this this opportunity to, to launch out and to do something. And then this was why my experience was so amazing with Harpeth Hills. You know, I, I show up and and I'm saying, man, God's put this vision on, on me. And they, they put a team of leaders around us not to keep us in Harpeth Hills, but they, they literally put a team of leaders around us to get us out of Harpeth Hills in a way that would keep us strong in the Lord as we left. And, and I went, man, you, you realize what an amazing thing that is for them to go, hey, our, our job is not to keep your gifts, your talent, your calling in, in this space, but to say, hey, how do we, how do we release it? And it's, a, it's one of those tensions that I, I think we sometimes feel uh, when it comes to church planting as we try to do this together is the tension, do we focus our energy on what God's doing here? Or do we focus our attention and energy on what God is doing there? And it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think what begins to happen is as our vision begins to expand for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we realize that God's not just calling us to right here, and he's not just calling us to out there. He's calling us to both here and there. And, and the, the conversation today is, so what if you find yourself as a leader in a church in, in a group one or group two or group three? Our, my response is, you're in the perfect place for the Spirit of God to move. So whatever established church you find yourself in, you're in just the right place. And what, what our um, 
objective here would be not just to say, oh, look at ethos. It, the objective would be, oh, our church could do this too. And, and I'm not sure how we're going to do it, but the Spirit of God is calling us to make disciples, and we ourselves are going to be a part of the disciple-making movement. So another tension, Dave, would be the fact that so many of our churches um, have lost the value or have never discovered the value of making disciples, of being kingdom advancing. We've been more of a taking care and shepherding people well. That would be another tension in our churches. Yeah. Hey, Bobby, I'm going to actually kind of throw you in for a second. You know, Bobby's been working with churches all over the country in the realm of disciple making. And um, I would love, could you just kind of give us, just, I know I'm putting you on the spot and you're asking me to, just a snapshot of what we've experienced as we've tried to help churches make the shift to becoming disciple making churches. Like, what's the, what's that journey been like?
about the five levels of uh, disciple-making churches. And um, the first part begins with an awareness. Then as a leadership person, you would have to personally um, not only learn about disciple-making, but practice it. I had a Peter Miller set up a church in, uh, in Tennessee called Lincoln University where he broke out So, you know, that, that, that was a tension that, that JP was talking about. 
things, you know, that we say about healing and how do we begin to release it and not keep it here. Kind of another tension that we experience in that journey then is the tension that all of a sudden comes once you recognize the calling. It's it's the tension of uh, stability versus uncertainty. Stability versus uncertainty. And so, you know, um, when, when you begin to recognize, hey, there may be a calling here in our church on somebody's life, or there may be a longing in us to, to launch out and disciple another church plant, uh, immediately you as a, a team, you as a church, you are inviting your leadership and your people into a season of great uncertainty. What's this going to look like? How are we going to fund it? Who's going to go with us? What's it going to do to our home church? What if they do something that we don't like? What, you know, which will probably happen. You know, um, what happens if this works really well and all of a sudden it's bigger and better than our church? What, you know, there, there's like a thousand places of uncertainty that begin uh, to raise up. And I think sometimes as you begin to identify the calling and you weigh in that tension of do we keep them here or do we send them there, you find yourself in the second tension of, or the second tension of, man, do we build our church around stability? Or do we allow us to walk in these waters of uncertainty? And so, JC, I'd love, could you just kind of speak, what was that, that journey like for Harper's Hills as, in those early days? We're trying to navigate mm. how to communicate this to the church. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you took like uh, about, what, 20 or 30, maybe 40 folks or so that were just saying, hey, I want to go do this too. And they were like the bright spots. You know, they, they were the folks who were evangelistic. They were the folks excited about mission. And what? They're leaving Harpeth Hills to go hang out with Dave. The Aikens went with you from your Sunday school class. The, um, I remember like, I mean, a couple, the gents. Oh, the gents. And, you know, but, but what I realized. We, we did not manage to get any of those exhibits. That's what we're going for. Uh, <laughs> you got a few of those too. But, uh, but uh, you know, it was a sense of loss. But, you know, it was a healthy loss. But it was a loss that produced some pruning that produced more fruit. And, you know, Harpeth Hills has made a few strategic decisions along the way that to um, the point earlier that have, has cost us what we would see as successful things in Churches of Christ or in America. But, man, that pruning has produced space for God's spirit. And so there was this sense of loss, but there's been this sense of gain. You know, Dave, I, for, for the churches of Christ and Christian churches and disciples of Christ, and that's where my heartbeat is. Those are my people. You know, I've been to almost every single restoration heritage site. I've been to, to uh, all the way from Washington, Pennsylvania to Bethany, and I've been all over the place. So I'm a big, my wife, like, hates, she watches Hallmark Channel, okay? That's like the difference between the two of us. I'm looking at all the historical stuff. She's wanting to know what the next, what, what the next Hallmark movie would be. But man, my heart beats because the Lord found me in that movement. Those are the people who, who raised me up. And, and those are some earnest, great people. If you've got an association with the Christian churches or Disciples of Christ or Churches of Christ, International Churches of Christ, I mean, you're with some earnest, great people. It feels like that this is such low-hanging fruit. You got people like Dave, people, organizations like Kairos and Onward and Discipleship Renew and Discipleship.org Renew. It feels like if we will create the space in our churches, we got people who, who are saying, I'll help you. I'll, I will walk with you. And so the tension is loving our heritage 
but also releasing that into the future and seeing an even better, an even better future. I'm going to tell the, son, about the story about my son as we close here and uh, let you cast a little vision for us here, okay? Because we're getting close on time. Uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of uh, having two daughters who were born to us, and then we have a son from, uh, we adopted from China. And my, my wife, Megan, went on mission trips to China and came back home and said, the Lord's telling me, you know, we ought to adopt. And my response was, the Lord's telling me, you need to go back in that prayer closet <laughs> and pray some more because he's not telling me that. And, and it really came down to my being submissive to my wife. Do I trust her enough to know that this is the call of God on her heart? She's a kindergarten school teacher. If she can handle 25 kids in the classroom, we can handle a third kid. So I will tell you that our decision, and this will be part of the story that I'll tell my son the rest of his life, our story to adopt was because his mama received the call of God on his life. And for his daddy, joy has followed obedience. Did, did you catch that? Joy has followed obedience, and that's my boy. About three years ago, and we've had him in our home now. He's been part of our family for since 2011. Um, and about three years ago, Megan calls me, and our son's name is Will Hudson. He's a good Southern boy. He has two names, like Billy Bob, so his name is Will Hudson. She goes, uh, Jason, just took Will Hudson to the doctor, eye doctor. Uh, he needs glasses. And I, and I immediately said to her, well, I never needed glasses. You never needed glasses. Why does he need glasses? And she says, he's adopted. I went, duh. For me, it was the sweetest moment. That's my son. Where are we right now in this conversation? Man, church planting is a hot topic. I mean, I'm hearing it everywhere. Even discipleship is a hot topic. We need some folks, even in this room, who will receive the call of God and be committed to church planting in your own context. Let, letting God use you in your own unique way so that this isn't Dave's vision that you're adopting. That Harpeth Hills isn't just investing and adopting Dave's vision, but we, got, we have the eyes to see this is God's vision. And as a child of God, we're going to take the next step with him into seeing his kingdom advance. Would you close us out? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that we just want to say is